Hi everyone, welcome back to Crime Science, the podcast made possible by the Loss Prevention Research Council. In this podcast, we explore helpful topics about preventing crime and loss, the science behind these efforts, and we'll hear real-world examples from loss prevention and asset protection practitioners and other industry professionals as well. On today's episode, co-hosts Dr. Reed Hayes of the Loss Prevention Research Council and Tom Meehan, Chief Strategy Officer at Control Tech, will discuss organized retail crime and Metro Orca with T.J. Flynn of JCPenney and Metro Orca. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Crime Science Podcast. I'm Dr. Reed Hayes from the University of Florida uh, and from the LPRC in Gainesville, Florida. Um, what we're going to do today is talk about organized retail crime, or ORC, a little bit. Uh, we've got a pretty active ORC working group, one of our eight LPRC working groups here in Gainesville, uh, where we work together with multiple chains, probably 20 or more U.S. retail chains get on the phone every month um, with one or more of our research scientists uh, and go through what's going on, what are they seeing, how they handle it. They're using research, they're commissioning research that from our team, interviewing boosters and fences or uh, going out there and conducting interviews or they submit data sets to us uh, that we can look at crime events and attempts and types to look for patterns and opportunities. Uh, today we're going to talk a little bit uh, with a very special guest, TJ from J.C. JCPenney. Uh, he's also the head of the New York area, New Jersey area, uh, Metro Orca. He'll talk a little bit about that as well. And of course, uh, my colleague in crime science, the podcast, uh, I'm going to go over to Tom Meehan now. Tom, uh, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little about what we're up to today. Thanks, Reed. Tom Meehan here. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer with Control Tech. Uh, another exciting episode, and uh, we're, we're excited to have everybody here, and we have a great guest. So, Tom, what I was going to do, too, is, is we put things in context here, is going back in time... Uh, uh, and who knows what that timing was, or at least who can recall it accurately, uh, where we started talking about ORT, organized retail theft, and how extensive it was. Teams started being put together. I remember Walmart and others uh, putting together ORT teams. They had surveillance vans for the first time, and we're going back 20 or more years now. Um, they even had NCIC and local uh, crime uh, connectors, uh, computers in their vans so that they could look up uh, auto tags and run people to see if they were wanted or their criminal histories uh, and so on, and working very extensively, of course, with law enforcement. And that continued to pick pick up steam. And, and going back probably about 14 years ago, the Retail Industry Leaders Association, RELA, uh, came to us and said, hey, we've got a grant we'd like to give you and your team, Reed. Can you all kind of look into and help us better define and describe this ORT problem? Well, what we did was, as part of that, went out and interviewed literally dozens of ORT investigators from multiple chains. Um, I can remember Target and Walmart and, and uh, now L Brands and on and on. Many of these investigators that were very skilled, very experienced. Uh, we interviewed most of them by phone, some in person, describing what are they up against, uh, how do they collect their intelligence, how do they put together their cases, how do they interface and work with law enforcement and prosecutors. Um, what does all that look like? What are their suggestions? Um, what are case studies and war stories that they, could, that they could tell us? And we did the same thing with local law enforcement, property crimes detectives or others that were working in the area uh, with the state law enforcement level agencies, including here in our state, FDLE or Florida Department of Law Enforcement. And, and then a lot with 
uh, FBI. And this is before DHS and others were really around and doing some of what they do now, some of their good work. Uh, but in FBI, we spent some good quality time up in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, they had had two big time cases there, um, American Dream 1, American Dream 2, that the tentacles of that ORC group spread throughout the United States. Of course, like most crime, uh, was very engaged in the state of Florida. Um, but that went all over the place. And what we learned, though, through these interviews and so on, we were introduced to um, active ORC, or at that time, ORT offenders at the booster level and at the different levels of fencing that were going on uh, at that time. Um, and, and FBI let us talk to offenders and sources that we were working with on American Dream 1 to Operation French Fry and so on. Um, and we learn an incredible amount. But what we came away from that uh, research, and that's published, it was published by uh, RILA and by the LPRC and is out there, um, was that ORT probably did not adequately describe the issue. And that's where ORC came from. We recommended in that report, Tom, let's go to this organized retail crime description because there, there's a lot of fraud here, not just theft, as we all know, with gift cards. Uh, these groups were going out there and uh, they would bring in a, a, a lot of illegal immigrants from the Middle East, South America, and other places, uh, former Eastern Bloc countries. They would get them in here legally. They had uh, printing set up for fake documents and so on. They were have opening fake bank accounts so that they could write bad checks. They were giving them bad ATM and credit cards. Um, it was just scarily... Uh, complex what was going on uh, in the Atlanta area. Local law enforcement had been compromised. Uh, in one case, uh, over a dozen uh, police officers were compromised by one ORC group. Um, that's obviously when you see the Georgia Bureau investigation and the FBI involved. Um, they did a lot of extensive, sophisticated surveillance. Um, and so the point of all that is ORC is probably a, a pretty good description of where we are today. But I want to get your your thoughts on that, Tom and TJ, going from ORT to ORC. Um, what do you what are we seeing now? What how are things changing out there? What's new? What's different um, as far as what they're doing, how they're doing it, how often are things focused in certain areas? Uh, Tom, I'll go to you. Sure. I, I mean, I think one thing is you bring up a point that I remember uh, very vividly when ORT turned into ORC. And uh, one of the first challenges of the problems I see today is that there's an inconsistent understanding from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Um, so what happens is state and local and federal law enforcement all see ORC differently. And in some states, they're very aggressive and there's some good laws and in others there aren't. Uh, in turn, I think retail, uh, both through RELA, the LPRC, the NRF, we have a good understanding and a definition, but how that translates to law enforcement differs dramatically today. TJ Flynn is our special guest today. He's the president and co-founder of the Metro Orca. And TJ, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Special guest. Wow. Thanks, Reed, and thanks, Tom, for having you, me. You, you are a special guest, and we're really excited to, to get you on the podcast. And let's just start off for some of our listeners. You know, what is uh, Metro Orca? Yeah, so Metro Orca, we, we established Metro Orca about three or four years ago, just in the New York City area, and it was designed to create a community where law enforcement and retailers, all working property crime, could share their intelligence 
where we could try to connect the dots and and figure out, you know, the, the notion really is your guy, is your bad guy, I should say, is, is your bad guy my bad guy? And, you know, setting up a intelligence site where that information could be shared was crucial. The model had already been built out across the United States in uh, different regional settings. And, you know, this was the one thing that we were really missing in this market. So with the help of NYPD and with the help of uh, several other retailers in the start. We were able to work with the vendor, get the website up and running. And I think the most important thing about these orca groups all across the country, and especially Metro Orca, it's not just about the website. It's not just about posting incidents and alerts. It's about connecting the people, the people that are working these investigations on both the law enforcement and the retail side. Now, we're all in this fight together. And I think it's important for our members to understand that you know we can learn from each other whether it's retail or law enforcement we all have different tips and tactics you know we we all know something in our own world that um, can be used to really bring the fight to these uh, offenders that are out there in the market causing problems in retail tj what's your role with metro orca my role at metro orca is the president and co-founder We'd started Metro Orca about three years ago, and my objective is to continue to create excitement about the website, and not only the website, but the partnerships that we're creating out there in the market. Metro Orca is all about partnership between retail and law enforcement. TJ, can you give us an example of uh, how uh, ORC is sort of morphing and changing uh, new things that are popping up or new ways to do things? Um, uh, could you describe that? Give us a case study. From the trend standpoint, what I'm seeing a lot of are larger dollar value thefts that are occurring out in the market. It could be over-the-counter drugs. It could just be merchandise such as you know, clothing, things that we wear every day. But what we're seeing, which is really a, a concerning trend, is that the dollar value seems to be going up. The frequency seems to be going up. And there just seems to be no rhyme or reason to it. Social media also seems to be driving the organized retail crime threat. And what I mean in saying that is we're seeing a lot of the product being fenced through different social media sites, through different e-tailer sites. Now, similar to what we saw 10 years ago, we're seeing explode into you know, many different social media platforms um, some of them were never actually intended to um, be a reseller of merchandise, but are being used in that way. And it becomes very difficult for an investigator to track that. And finally, gift cards still continue to be a proceed that boosters are after, whether it's just returning merchandise to the store that was previously stolen to acquire that gift card or merchandise credit or using stolen credit card information to purchase gift cards, gift cards seems to still be a, a big trend out there in organized retail crime. Um, and unfortunately, also the aspect of the opioid addiction uh, that's gripped our nation uh, has become a means for these uh, unfortunate souls to feed their addiction. Uh, it's very easy to come into a retail store to grab something off the shelf and to return it. And we're hearing a lot about uh, addicts 
flipping those gift cards for drugs as opposed to going to a pawn shop and getting cash. They're going right to their dealer and their dealer is uh, essentially the one cashing in that gift card uh, after giving them their drugs. Good stuff. Um, so I think that's part of like anything. We just need to know more about the scope uh, and scale, but where it's happening, when it's happening, uh, who are these groups? How are they dis- determining where they're going to go? Are they following people? Some of it's probably insider threat. And and I kind of want to interject about, you know, the Lost Finchin Research Council, LPRC. We have an ORC working group. We've got anywhere from eight to 28 uh, ORC professionals on on the calls given, any given month. Um, and they meet monthly by phone. Sometimes they have webinars. Sometimes they meet in person. But what they're trying to do there is work with one or more of our scientists on our team to help drive their conversations with evidence, with research. All right, we're going to interview some boosters systematically or fences. We're going to analyze this data set that somebody or a group has submitted um, for analysis so that that you're continually interjecting science or research into the conversations that you all have. But one thing I was going to bring up with you, TJ, is that group working with our violent crime working group, uh, the ORC uh, working group, what they came up with last, late last year was they are starting to include serial, serial burglars, serial robbers into discussion basically because it's retail. It is, uh, to extent, organized, and, of course, it's crime. And um, what are your thoughts on including serial burglars and robbers in discussion in the research on ORC? I was actually just having a conversation with a peer uh, in regards to some break-ins and overnight burglaries that he's experiencing at his retailer. I think that, you know, the the trend is there. It's there to stay. Um, I think that as a lot of these crews, uh, you know, traditionally were targeting other industries like the jewelry industry, now making their way over into the retail industry. And I mean, we've been seeing that increase over the past maybe five years or so. I definitely think it's a... um, it's something that, from a Metro Orca standpoint, we need to focus more on and um, potentially even dive in analytically and get some more folks out there in the field to contribute um, to um, actually sending in information that's specific to the burglaries so that we can start sharing that uh, with our partners here in the industry. That's great feedback. And I know that ORC working group, um, working with Violent Crime Working Group now, What's going on is looking at uh, a lot of these armed robberies used to be just cash. That's still the predominant. Uh, even our drugstore members are telling us that 70% or more of their armed robbery events are driven by cash. They're the kind of the grab and run type of thing. But uh, And pharmacy robberies and takedown robberies are occurring. Uh, pharmacy at a little bit greater rate as far as the increase, but they're still relatively rare compared to the, the cash and dash. But... Um, what's happening in some of these stores, particularly we've got, when we've got guys like Best Buys and Walmarts and Targets and T-Mobiles and Verizon and, and on and on that are selling cellular telephones, particularly Apple products, they're seeing an increase in both after hours burglary and of course, during hours armed robbery of their stores for the iPhones, particularly, uh, or of their customers as they, just as they leave their store, they go around the corner with their brand new iPhones. So, um, very organized, same groups. They're doing other things. Uh, this is a new bent. So um, I want to know if maybe it may be something that you all at your org uh, may want to take a look at if you're not already. I got one more quick one. Then I want to go over to Tom. Um, but uh, 
you know, we had LerpNet for a while. Um, it was a way for retailers to enter data on their crime attempts, their events that they had, uh, what they knew about the offenders involved, what they knew about how the event or the, the action went down, things about that attempt. Uh, and then, of course, uh, things about maybe w what they lost and so on. So, um, and then they were sharing that information with each other and, and LERP being uh, law enforcement and retailer. Um, so did law enforcement. And I know it was somewhat difficult to take the time sometimes to enter the information. There was errors in it. That's going to be inevitable in the data. Uh, but it's my understanding that LERPnet is rarely, if ever, used anymore. Is uh, What are your thoughts on LERPnet or is there a replacement uh, already out there or on the way? Any Anything that you or, and or Tom, this goes to Tom as well. Reed, I agree with you. The many different iterations of LERPnet and LERPnet 2.0 were designed to bring the retailers together in this fight. Unfortunately, the cost was prohibitive and there were some privacy and, and liability issues out there that the retailers just didn't want to be a part of at the time. Now I can tell you that the Orca models are working, people are sharing information, they're collaborating, and we've got to continue to build on this, whether it's just in the, the regions that we operate or if we do move to a national model. I can tell you that people are comfortable with sharing the information and that we need to start moving more towards an analytical model, but we need more data. So if you're listening out there and you're part of an ORCA group, we need you to put in more information so that we can start building an analytical model through our sites. Yeah, I think there's a couple things on the works now that are commercial-based products where consortium, you know, similar to the consortium or like an um, LERPnet or any of the other ones that we've seen in the past, I think... Um, TJ hit the nail on the head. The privacy issue is one, and then, you know, the costing issue is two. Is how do you, how do you ask a retailer to provide data, and then charge them a fee, and then it becomes a game of well, I have more records than you do. Especially when you get into the Macy's, Home Depots, WalMarts, and all of those those folks basically fund the pool and pennies and Coles. You know, all these organizations that stop more than a hundred thousand people a year end up saying, yeah, we'll share our data, but we really don't want to pay for it. And then it becomes kind of the viral circle of no one wants to pay to play and it becomes challenging. Um, you know, I think that's the first piece. The other piece is privacy and liability. And I, I put them together because um, I think you're going to see in the next two years them starting to connect um, a lot more than even in the past. So uh, uh, very, very, we're fastly approaching where GD. PR will affect the United States, which basically will mean anybody uh, from Europe will have to be treated differently in any in data capture. So I think when you start to add new privacy laws and regulations, it takes an already very complex and challenging problem and makes it extraordinarily more difficult because of all the things that are occurring with PCI, PII, and all of these governmental regulated things that weren't even around when LERPnet started. Uh, I think LERPnet uh, had a great idea. I think uh, the pay-to-play model was tough to consume. And I also think from sitting in a retailer's chair, and I remember because I actually was the person that owned the program, it was, I'm going to give you all my data, I'm going to pay you all these things, and I'm not, and the accuracy of the data isn't isn't as good as it should be based on what you're saying. So I think uh, a really good solution that is out there today is the Orcas. They are real, they are really coming along in Metro Orca. I was fortunate enough to be involved when it started. I was not a founder. I was 
I think I, I ran an investigations program at that point, so I went to the meetings. But it was as close as you can get to that data um, without crossing the threshold of what was challenging. And I think something that TJ and the group did that was very smart is coming up with different user levels because I have worked for retailers that would that would not share information and I've worked for retailers that would share information. So allowing that view only option kind of puts that middle ground in. I do know that there are two projects that are in the works right now um, that I think are still being positioned to come to market where companies are saying, hey, we have this data, we wanna provide it. But it, it's again, I think it's coming down to what's the pricing gonna be and how to, how do they regulate the privacy? And then the last piece as a retailer, and I, you know, I was a retailer for 20 years, and I know Reed, you have retail, everybody forgets that that's where we came from, is that uh, you know, telling someone on the front line to make a decision based on someone else's data or even implied decision becomes a, a liability issue. So when you're right, everybody celebrates. When you're wrong, it's used against you. So it's, it's one of those things that's a you know, a double-edged sword. Um, I do think with some of the things that are occurring, we'll see the rebirth of something similar to LerpNet. Unfortunately, I, I feel that until the privacy issues are addressed, so that it, it's a challenge. And that's why, you know, the timing of TJ being a guest is so great because I think all of the orcas are great. Um, I think obviously Metro Orca is near and dear to my heart because uh, where I live and where I've lived my whole entire life and I, I know a lot of the members and work side by side with them, uh, but I, I think the orcas today are a good option. Um, I think the data collection and the, the availability of the data is there. And I think because of the model, uh, the privacy concerns are a little different. And then everybody involved in an orca, although they don't have to say it, says it often that this is information only. You know, don't act on the information. See if we it will help you close that case. And now more than ever, um, with the interstate crime in ORC, I think the orcas are a huge, huge part of solving that riddle. So I know that was a long-winded answer, but I, I can tell you I could go on for days about the privacy concerns that are coming. Thanks, Tom. I had a another question for you, TJ, Well, and, and again, probably both of you all because of your recent and extensive history in the NYPD area, Tom. But um, can you describe a little bit about uh, your working relationship with NYPD? Is, is there, what are some things, some takeaways that other ORCAs, that other ORC operators out there, that law enforcement uh, personnel that also listen to this podcast or are involved with other ORCAs, what are some things that we can learn from that relationship? Um, we don't want to call out negative things necessarily on the podcast, but what are some of the lessons learned so far, TJ? Um, things that we can all do to get better in interfacing law enforcement and retail investigations. Read the cooperation is great. I mean, one of the most important things is that we're connecting people who have a similar mindset and want to get after the organized theft piece out there in these different markets. And I think that's one of the most important things that we all have to understand is that we're in this fight together. So whether you're on the law enforcement side or the retail side, you know, we have things that we can learn from each other, whether that's how to better prosecute a case um, from a retailer's perspective, we can learn that from law enforcement, the prosecutors. And from their standpoint, we can teach them about the different frauds and scams that are happening in the retail sector and how they can help us get the proper evidence for a good prosecution. Excellent. Tom, what are your thoughts? Um, as far as say NYPD, I remember being at I remember being at a Gus Downing uh, New York event um, when 
now at least two different uh, NYPD police commissioners have spoken. In both cases, they were very supportive. And it, and it goes back to what I just heard from TJ in that they understand at that level the strategy behind the ecosystem that they're protecting. They know that their city, their metro area is an ecosystem and that retailing is a very vibrant and critical part uh, of their ecosystem and that they need a lot of support in, in specific ways rather than just, well, this is a hassle to, to haul their shoplifters away, but rather let's be a little more strategic. We want all the parts of our ecosystem that are critical to that e ecosystem to be healthy. And so that means they can't be constantly preyed on by fraudsters and, and th thieves, really, and as well as violent criminals. So um, that came from the very top where they understood the strategy and the reason behind it. But I'm wondering, as it gets down, as, as you go down the ranks of NYPD into the commanders and uh, lieutenants and inspectors and so on, all the sergeants and the, and the patrol officers out there, what's that cooperation like to you guys? So, I, you know, I, I, I can say I, a lot of this, instead of being repetitive, I would say a lot of the same things TJ did. You know, I was very fortunate uh, in New York working with some great people. And in all of the areas I worked in New York, there were great precincts that had good understanding, as well as task force, whether it be a grand larceny task force, there was an organized retail crime task force. And the names changed over the years um, with some of the changes in the department, but there were specialized units. Um, so... You know, yes, I'm a little uh, jaded, but I do think the NYPD has one of the best police departments. They certainly have the most capable police department that I've ever worked with. And um, so what I would say is uh, TJ mentioned it, partnership and relationships, you know, starting with the people and showing how you can work together and build the case that's clean and easy for them to understand. I think one thing as retailers that we forget is we have some pretty complex cases and a lot of times when we bring them to law enforcement and this is where the level of law enforcement comes in and it's a officer that's responding to a call for a shoplifter and it turns into a very complicated ORC case, not taking the time and, and working through just like um, anything else and presenting a case that is very, very easy to digest for them um, so that they can understand it and articulate it well um, that's one of the start, starting points of getting that put together right. But I think it starts even earlier than that with participating in community events and working with the departments and doing things like this conference. And, and this conference is a, a probably the last time I was at a conference in, in New York, there were several NYPD um, detectives there. There was a, an AA, ADA and a supervising ADA to discuss the new New York State ORC law, so it was a couple of years ago, but this was very much local and uh, law enforcement and private sector working together. As a matter of fact, at that meeting, there were some folks that were on the mayor's detail specifically there. So yes, sometimes there's politics involved, but the reality is uh, the fact that someone's at that meeting shows, to your point, Reed, that they do care and it is important to them. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to the other side without getting specific into departments. I've had the extreme other um, example of where you have departments that are not interested, uh, and sometimes it's because you have a they're having a bad day and you get the wrong police officer. Sometimes it's because they're overtaxed, and sometimes it's you know the partnership or the relationship wasn't established. So I think that's where it all starts, and then understanding you know just like uh, just like everybody else, in a lot of cases they are overworked. 
uh, and have an, a, a huge caseload. So it becomes challenging for them to keep up with the caseload. And, you know, when you're calling from a retailer, what does everybody think about? It's, oh, that's just a shoplifter. I mean, it, I'm sure everybody who's listening to this podcast, if they're involved in asset protection, has had the same kind of conversation where some, oh, you just catch shoplifters. They would, uh, they don't realize how much is involved in some of these ORC cases and millions of dollars or when you talk about uh, other issues that occur. So I think everything starts with partnerships and presenting a really good, clean case and re- representing the police department well. Fantastic. And and I remember going back in a, in a prior life when I was down in Orange County, Florida, and uh, we had a, a detective and he had a he was one of the property crimes, the main guys for that particular sector. Um, and he came by every time we caught a shoplifter, anybody on my team did, uh, so that he could interview them and identify them because he was clearing a lot of other crimes that, as we know, people try to specialize, but they don't. You're, if you're, particularly if you're a habitual or ongoing high-impact offender. Um, so he made a lot of cases. And we see, like you're saying, Tom, to your point, that uh, and, and you were making earlier, TJ, and that is, look, regardless of the size of your agency, uh, it seems like no matter what type of crime an offender that you're particularly interested in uh, specializes in, they also shoplift uh, all the way up, including being involved intermittently or full-time in different crews or types of ORC uh, theft and fraud activities. So that's my thought, and, and how do we continue to build that? Um, I know the ORC working group here is working on a couple of packets or kits, uh, training modules that go to uh, a police academy level, and there's some good examples out there that were done. J.C. Penney, right, has a has done a, a really neat one that was up there. I think it was in Chicago or somewhere in the Midwest. Um, but that type of initial training information for that level of officer going in uh, and onto the you know, on patrol out there in the streets, and then uh, of course something for the property crime investigators to understand what type of cases you'll be involved in and what you could really do as far as affecting crews and and uh, big-time offenders in your area. Uh, I guess one last question that I have is state statute needs uh, or tweaks to a statute. Um, Any thoughts there from you all? TJ, I'll go to you first, but what do we need uh, in the areas at least you're familiar with, and and that's particularly up in that northeastern corridor? New Jersey has an organized retail crime statute. It's actually called the leader of an organized retail crime entity, and it has been difficult uh, in speaking with my partners to prosecute under that statute. Now, it requires that you have evidence and elements to show in court that somebody is actually leading an organized retail crime entity, which can be difficult because we know that these groups, they're so tight-knit, and once somebody's caught, they don't want to speak. So even though we do have that great law in the books, it has been tough to prosecute. From the perspective of New York, New York enacted an organized retail crime statute. One of the things about that statute that's a little bit difficult is that an entity is treated as one company. So regardless of the amount of incidents that have occurred at my store, at my brand, at my company, through New York, through the different counties, it's only counted as one entity. So store A, company A, has multiple thefts through New York, it's still only one total incident. You would actually have to have company B involved and have it cross counties and have there be multiple people involved for it to be um, 
charged under this new statute. So even though there are some parts of the, the um, statute that we love, the aggregation we love, uh, the cross-county um, prosecution we love, um, we, we really yet have, have had the opportunity to challenge the uh, enterprise or entity clause in there. And, uh, you know, we will, you know, once we do have a great case to present, you know, we will be the first ones to test that out and, you know, see where it goes from there. Yeah, I agree. I, I think uh, the one thing I'll say is um, the New York the New York state law specifically is so new that it hasn't really been challenged. So the interpretation of the writing hasn't really been defined. So it's not like some of these other statutes in Florida that have been around for decades. So I think ADAs are, um, I don't want to say a little light with it, but they're still learning, okay, how is this going to be interpreted? No one wants to be the first person to have the law, the, you know, the, the, the law or the indictment challenged. So New York is still, I think, going through that stage. Um, and I, I think the way the law is written in New York, to TJ's point, it's a little tricky to identify you know, how the groups are related and to really meet all the requirements. But I, I, one thing I will say is the fact that New York State took the time and, and went through and passed it shows great progress from before when there wasn't one. So, you know, it's only been a few years. In New Jersey, um, I had a lot of experience in New Jersey. You know, I, I worked in Jersey for several years in several different capacities. Um, I think enterprise theft at a state level is, is used quite a bit, um, but it's used to plead the case down. So it's a, it's a tactic that's often used, let me charge real high, so it's easier to get them to plea. Um, that was pers- my personal experience in multiple jurisdictions. But it still shows that the, that they're treating uh, ORC more aggressively um, than other cases. Um, one thing I go back to, and I know this is kind of you know the pie in the sky thing that I always say is about is consistency from state to state would be great if if everybody truly defined even enterprise theft. You would see you know you we all know that if someone asked us, we'd have a definition for ORC for enterprise theft. And sometimes it's theft for resales used to, you know, it's as simple as they're stealing it to resell it, you know, but then when you start to broaden that umbrella um, to ORC, we're also interested in other things too, obviously. So um, to TJ's points, I think are, are spot on. Uh, when I, when I had more global responsibility, I would tell you that state to state, I saw remarkable differences in how it was handled. And then federally, I've actually been told the exact same thing several times. You're never going to see a RICO case. I've actually seen federal cases turn into wire fraud cases, you know, that because it was easier to prosecute that than a, than an enterprise RICO th- case. Um, and I mean, big, big, several million dollar cases with huge, um, huge repercussions and serious jail time, and still could not um, get anybody to take that on. And that had a lot to do with the state's attorneys that I dealt with were very honest. It's easier to process this case. They're going to get the same amount of time. They're going to they're going to get the same amount of jail time at the end of the day. And we need to close cases. You know, it was kind of a supply and demand thing that they had so many cases running or going by, and nonviolent offenders take a second seat to violent you know to violent offenders. And then the other thing is that, and this is uh, controversial, but I'll say it is they're in all in a lot of uh, your AGs, your prosecutors. Uh, your district attorneys, depending on their decision, they're politically motivated positions, so they need sexy. They need sexy crimes so that can, they can show the general public what they're doing. And ORC is only a sexy crime when it comes with pictures of millions of dollars next to it 
uh, it's very hard to articulate. Um, and I know TJ and I worked on the same groups where literally for 10 years, I chased the same group that got federally indicted two years ago. And if you think about that, 10 years of my career was spent on this one group and every retailer I know was involved and it took us 10 years together to get that case federally prosecuted. Think about, just think about how, you know, that was one case in the Northeast and it covered, it really covered the whole entire United States, but we were able to do it out of uh, the Manhattan, uh, you know, FBI office. But so I think all of those things, but I think it goes back to consistency in the law. Before we wrap up today's episode, I just wanted to get more info on how one can get involved in Metro Orca. The easiest way to get involved in Metro Orca is to go to the website, www.metroorca.org, and that's one O in Metro Orca, and you can sign up. You can sign up as a retail member, a law enforcement member, or a retail read-only member. A retail member will have full access to the site and be able to view and post alerts. A law enforcement member will have full access to the site and will also be able to see additional information that's posted by law enforcement on individuals that are on the website, some stuff that may be law enforcement sensitive. If you are a read-only member, you are able to view the posts but you are not able to submit posts. And the reason why we have that membership type is that some retailers and some other entities out there that are on the site, they uh, want to restrict the amount of people that can actually add information onto the website, just you know, from a privacy standpoint and a liability standpoint. So we give them that option, um, but we still encourage them to uh, have their, their people join the website in a read-only fashion so that they may be able to view the alerts that are happen- happening out there in the market. TJ, I know that Metro Orca is having its first annual conference. Can you tell us a little bit about that conference? We are set to launch our inaugural conference here in New York City at the NYPD Training Academy in Flushing, New York on April 17th. We expect there to be over 300 people in attendance, and we have a great list of speakers. Um, You'll also be able to earn continuing educational units uh, towards your CFE and your CFI. It's a very exciting opportunity for us to bring the first conference to New York City, and we look forward to having a great day on April 17th. Who will be speaking and what topics will be covered at the conference? First and foremost, we'll have an excellent presentation from Contessa Brewer and Scott Zamost of CNBC. And if some of you remember, uh, late last year they put out an investigative report on the opioid addiction and gift card fraud. This is going to be a very intriguing behind-the-scenes look at this investigative report. And we expect the audience to have numerous questions and, and be just naturally curious about how they went ahead with putting this uh, story together and really kind of diving into what the real problem is to find some real solutions. So we're really excited to have them. We also have uh, yours truly here, Tom Meehan. He will be speaking to us about the convergence of organized retail crime and dot-com and how those two worlds are slowly combining, well, not necessarily combining, but maybe just 
um, colliding into each other as a lot of these fraudsters go online. Uh, we're pleased to have Dave Thompson from Wicklander and Zawalski, who will be providing over two hours of training on interview and interrogation. That's sure to be a, a great, great training piece for all of our members that will be in attendance that day. And again, uh, his training will um, give you credits towards your CFI or CFE. And finally, we have a guest speaker from the banking industry who will be talking about a very hot topic these days, cryptocurrency, and what you can do to understand more about cryptocurrency, how it works, and what it looks like from a fraud standpoint. Great. I, I, again, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I know that uh, last time we spoke, there were several hundred people attending, and that's really exciting. And um, I think being in the New York metro area, uh, it's probably one of the hot pockets in the country. So super excited to go there. I'm going to be actually speaking about kind of the narrowing gap between cyber crime and organized retail crime. And it kind of, it goes right back to what Reed started with, where um, the blanketed statement of organized retail crime is much more appropriate today because um, there are these artificial lines that draw on, well, that's not retail crime, that's credit card fraud. And that's not, uh, you know, robbery, it, it's it's shoplifting. And so taking that umbrella and really talking about some life examples. So definitely looking forward to being there and, and seeing everyone. Excellent. Well, you know what? I really appreciate uh, you being on the show with us today, TJ. Um, fantastic insight. Um, and I know uh, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be looking forward to your conference coming up. Tom, uh, I appreciate, as always, all your insights and all your expertise. Um, and I want to thank everybody else out there listening. You know, please tune in, let everybody know. Uh, we're on all the, the platforms that put out podcasts from iTunes uh, onward. And uh, everybody have a fantastic week. Thanks so much.